Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Found Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related. Brought to you by the Panel and Jumper and Comics Dungeon. My name is Ben. With us, as always, with me as always, and we are all here. Yes. Nicole Lamb. Hello. Chris Casso. Hola. And of course, Mr. Cole Hornaday. Hey, Ben. Hey, Cole. What's going on? Pointing at me. He's like, you're poking me. <laughs> Uh, how was everybody this fine evening? All right. Really good. Yes. Yeah. Mm, not yeah. as hot as I thought it was going to be by now. So. Didn't you open yeah. the door and let yeah. some air in? I left that open the whole time. The Did back you? door is oh, open. Wow. It's actually rather pleasant you know down in the back alley. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so Come to the back there. alley, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, always, I've always wanted to... Uh, I've wanted to, on nice days like this, just take the table out front and do the podcast on the sidewalk. Webster, our uh, our uh, media guy here, says that's a bad idea for audio-wise. I tend to agree with him. Um, it's also a bad also, idea because we're right next to a bar. We are right next to a bar. We're <laughs> bars down there. The pot shop is down there. There's a yoga studio because, you know, those people can be jerks, I guess. And remember like, the positive experiences we've had trying to shoot the web Indeed. series. On Every, the everybody's a jerk. Yep. I had I had a uh, uh, I had a lot of time to kill today, and I had to record this other podcast that I do with my friend. And uh, normally I'm at my office, but because I was in the North End here, I'm just like I went to Wallingford Park down here, which I used to live down the street for 15 years, and that was the second time I'd ever been in that park. <laughs> so I just sat on the world's most uncomfortable bench with you know I had my phone in uh, my headphones, and I had the you know this portable recorder that I used. When I recorded the uh, the you know the behind the scenes at the Comic Dungeon episode here, right. and I found myself getting really self conscious if I was talking and somebody was like walking by <laughs> or jogging by or or somebody with their dog, I, I I'm like I they can they probably know I'm not a crazy person person just sitting on the sidewalk or sitting on this bench talking You're to myself, but still the most composed crazy person feel, if you are. If I know. They'd be like, what a polite crazy person a, right there. And there's you no should've... tin in his wardrobe. Not one. What no. you should have done. Is, is take your camera thing and, and take it to the dog and be like, your opinion, sir. Exactly. <laughs> and how do you feel, Mr. Woofers? <laughs> yes. Mr. Woofers. Mr. Woofers. Um, <laughs> Prime was... time with Mr. Woofers. What was... Oh, it was Mr. Snoofers. That's uh, Nick Fury's <laughs> pet from Captain Marvel. Mr. Snoofers? What did I say? That was <laughs> Goose. No, yeah, that's Goose. No, in, in Nick Fury's pet, childhood pet oh, in Captain Marvel. Oh, oh, wow. You did a deep dive <laughs> yeah, there, my friend. Yeah. So I wow. liked Mr. Snoofers. Anyway, yeah. let's get on with the <laughs> let's get on with the show, friends. Shall That's for we? our wolf cast later. Indeed. Wolf talk. <laughs> All right. Or or if you're from some sections of the Pacific Northwest, wolf talk. <laughs> All right. So uh Polygon. <laughs> Dot com had an article about superheroes that kills, referring specifically to uh, Hawkeye going Ronin in <laughs> Avengers Endgame, and uh, and I thought we should spend some time talking about the recent wave of superheroes going on a murderous spree, especially in the in the big budget movies. It's not unusual to. To have superheroes occasionally kill somebody, I suppose, but it seems to be have been picked up a notch uh, lately, Snyder, especially yeah. with the introduction of the Snyderverse, the Murderverse, as uh, of that Cole calls it. So let's talk about superheroes uh, and their deathly ways. What do we? How do we feel about the superheroes who just take lives willy nilly? Hmm. No, sir. No, cold. I don't like not it. For it. <laughs> don't uh, like or it. Or Chris isn't for it. Cold. I, I would not be calling him superheroes. You would not yeah, be uh, Nicole. No. Just quick elevator pitch about superheroes who kill. Are you for or against? It depends. It depends. 
I'm not against characters murdering. Mm-hmm. Yes. You just can't call him a superhero. Right. Yeah. So is that are the two aren't the two are mutually exclusive then? So I superheroes so. do not kill. Yeah. I'm putting my foot down on it. <laughs> you, you call them superheroes because they have a code. Right. They have a code of ethics. They have a code that defines them. Um, and you know, let's face it. Every once in a while, with most of our most beloved uh, characters, they get put in a situation where they are, um, where they are. Uh, rapidly re- revenge bound and that becomes the the challenging arc of that story but it's not it wasn't until the the, the late 80s that that became stock and trade with the grim and gritty hyper masculine stories that we had to deal had to deal with but that but you know that but that informed how we make comics going forward you know and now think characters like the punisher and deadpool are part of the status quo which has always made me really uncomfortable they used to be the exception to the rule mm-hmm um, yeah, it's one of those things of, cause I mean, with the eighties moving forward, it's like the adolescence of, of comic fans mm-hmm. and Punisher became like the big thing. And so you just assume because he's part of this genre, even though he was a villain to start with, he's, you call him a superhero cause you're just trying to quickly categorize these things. Sure. But it's just like, no, he's a sociopath that's established. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in Garth Ennis' run, you killed 2000 people. You're not okay. Um, so, I don't know. I just But Chris, he's killing people who kill other people. He could do that. That's fine. He, yeah. he do he. <laughs> but just don't... But that's justified, though. Just don't do me. Um, <laughs> but you just don't call him a superhero at that point. I agree. He's yeah. a vigilante. It's a terminology thing at this point. It's not to be pedantic, you know, but it's still just like, no, superheroes supposed to not. And it's, you know, things happen. Captain America's kill because he's a soldier first. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I remember. I almost remember never seeing him really shoot anybody. But then, no, nope, he always ran into battle with the shield. Yeah. And Bucky had the uh, Bucky, Bucky had was the Tommy gun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bucky didn't have any qualms about shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> do you draw? Um, do you do you think that there's a difference between, let's say, uh, Superman? outright killing somebody whether it be general zod or not and or superman taking a uh, an action that results in innocent human deaths are those two things different in your mind yes. yeah because one's premeditated yeah 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 so in the Zack snyder murder verse when superman and general zod are flying through buildings the thousands of people that die when that building falls over that's yeah. not superman killing someone I guess not. Uh, so this is the thing. Uh, this is where it's just it's storytelling to me. And a lot of people defend it. It's like, oh, it's his first day as Superman. It's like, don't tell me that story then. He's still learning on the job. Yeah, that's like, I'm that's, with Chris. That's then don't tell me that story. <laughs> if you're doing the story Superman's first day, the first thing he does is catch a plane out of the sky. Mm-hmm. That's like what he always does on his first or day. Or a space shuttle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's just it's bad choice of storytelling to me then. It's like, yes. Yeah. If you're trying to think about it, if the Hulk's in town, he's going to smash something, it's going to fall down on a little old lady. But fine, fine, fine. That's not the world I want want to inhabit we live in a terrible world where horrible things happen every day i want to not be there i want to be in the world where the hulk wears purple pants and saves puppies (laughs) i'm okay with you showing collateral damage but like everybody got out of the city just in time let me have that right right there's a joke about that um scott mcleod who's famous for doing understanding comics did a uh a comic called um 
destroy. It's just uh, just all capital destroy. And it was him getting something out of his system. And it featured two superheroes fighting and duking it out and literally destroying an entire city over the course of like 30 pages. And this book was huge. It's huge. It was like this big. I love Jeez. it. Yeah. And at the last scene, like there's just a crater where the city was. And the commissioner kind of comes out of some rubble and like, and thank God nobody was hurt. <laughs> 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 and it was just like, yes, that's what I came here for. I feel fine about this. So, But yeah. some people feel that that's lying to an audience, and that's where I have to ask, mm. well, where are your boundaries in reality when you need to have, when you want a story told to you? Right. You know, because we have several generations of superhero stories where these are the tenets of how you tell a, you know, these are the, these are the tropes of how you tell a story. These are the rules. Um, and looking back at the 80s and the grim and gritty aspect into the 90s and um and image comics and all that i my question is well were you bored with that were audiences bored with that um or did they uh were they embarrassed by the do-goody aspect the goody-goody aspect of superhero storytelling um and that's kind of sad but we've spiraled so much deeper into the the quagmire since that point in time like when people say, like, I don't like Superman, he's a Boy Scout, or yeah. he's too overpowered, and it's like, that's not, neither one of those is necessarily, I mean, yes, the Boy Scout aspect is a part of Superman, but, like, him being overpowered is not the point. And mm-hmm. if somebody's focusing on his power, then they don't see what Superman is, yes. being the good boy, the goodest good boy that ever gooded. Mm-hmm. So if you can tell it from that perspective and find the heart in it, then you're getting Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just knowing your character. You know, I mean, I think that's why we have people like the Suicide Squad and the Thunderbolts, because it's like there's dirty jobs that people need to do that need to get done. And why not get villains to do those things? But I also think that there's some like maybe I guess more of anti-hero vigilante types that still kind of fall under the superhero. But they are those people who might have more morally gray things. Mm -hmm. Or there might be times when a superhero is put in a position where they're like, this person is absolute awful, terrible, horrible. They're never going to get any better. And somebody's got to do something. And I think sometimes those stories fit depending on the character. Mm-hmm. But generally, yeah, you want your like your Steve Rogers. He's going to do what's good no matter what. Um, you want your Superman who's showing humanity what they can be mm-hmm. because it uplifts us and it is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think there is also room for those fringy moments when it really is hard to see how somebody could good their way out of a situation. Oh, yeah. You know? And if it's told well, then it feels right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ben, you were... I think you were citing uh, Man of Steel earlier in the in the climax with the uh, Kal-El fighting General Zod. Yes. Um, and that's what's one of the more frustrating things about that film is that it bypasses where the Superman code came from where that identity is and jumped right to the um, the the rage, the hypermasculine rage of the final conflict and Zod is so bad and somebody's got to put this mad dog down and that's what we're told is good storytelling anymore. And I don't think it is, but it's where we're at. Is is this a new thing with the murder verse that Snyder has given to us or are has Superman killed in the comics? Has Batman killed in the comics. Technically, yes. Yeah, but that's not. It's it's the exception to the rule. Generally, yeah. 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 Um, and but now, 
Zack Snyder doesn't know anything about comics. He just knows how to make blockbusters. <laughs> proudly so, actually. Yeah, yeah, and he is, and he's really smug about it, and it's really frustrating because he's establishing the status quo of how how Warner Brothers, at least, is going to tell superhero stories, and I think it's really sad. Um, I hope there's a day when we come, we pull back from that because it just gets to be too much. Question, I didn't see the Shazam movie. Did you guys see the Shazam movie? Yeah, yes. it's good. Yeah, it's good. I, I mean, I just was too busy so there are uh, sweet boys in there mm-hmm. yes and girls yep. mm-hmm. it is nice mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but it is did you feel it's an alternative to the murderers oh yeah, yeah. absolutely Come, yeah. it's what they should have started it's with. got yeah. family and yep. you know that i love it <laughs> so yeah, something yeah. worth noting is that so the one of the most famous cases of superman killing the comics is he does kill general zod and the general's generals or lieutenants uh, by poisoning them with kryptonite after he had learned that they killed like millions of people mm-hmm. but it's it's set up against the fact that we know superman's morality and how horrible and difficult a decision this was in the snyderverse the morality that is set forth is is pa kent literally saying like let that school bus of children die that's right that is what we are. That You're is right. the basis yeah. of his morality. A very terrible. Uh, what's the actor's name? Kevin, uh, Costner. Kevin. Kevin Costner, who made no good decisions. <laughs> you know, like you have an invincible child here. Let him go save those people from the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's a difference there of just like no morality basis. Yeah, it's easy. Snap the guy's neck. Versus mm-hmm. this is against everything in my fiber of being, but it actually has to happen right now. Yeah. Um, there's there's other cases like that. There's uh, having the basis of morality makes for a more interesting story. There's a Batman Joker story called The Devil's Advocate where um, a judge actually gives the death sentence to the Joker, but it turns out it's for a murder he didn't commit. Mm. And Batman has to figure out, do I let him, do I let him get it? Hmm. Oh. Or do I go by the system and, and prove he's innocent here? It's like, that was a very interesting story. Um, so, yeah. I think the other thing that's frustrating for me is that comic books, one, in one way or another, always, since I was a child, established uh, a moral compass. And when you're telling the Superman story, pa, Mom, Pa can't, he's an alien, but he gets, where does he get that code? Where does he get that compass? He gets it from Kansas. those, you know, um, he, he gets it from those <laughs> homespun, from, you know, from the Kents, from these quaint, um, j- genuine people who raised this alien god to be a good person, mm-hmm. you know. So, and that's not what that movie does. Um, Real quick before I forget it, one Mm -hmm. thing that's worth mentioning, um, in the early 2000s, Joe Kelly, who was known for writing Deadpool, did a run on Superman, and he did a story, a single-issue story called What's Wrong with Truth, Justice, and the American Way? And he started what he was trying, what he coined later as the reconstruction of superheroes after all the deconstruction that Warren Ellis and Alan Moore did. And the main thing is he introduced a group of uh, heroes, dark, edgy heroes, um, called the Elite, and they were 100% the authority. And uh, they were murdering people, villains left and right, and uh, public opinion was on their side. And Superman basically challenged them to, to prevent them from murdering anybody. And it was basically the whole purpose of the story was just like, there's nothing wrong with the idea of being a good boy. And, <laughs> and like, we have to look at these things. And, and, and he slowly tore apart just how shallow their motivations were in the course of the story. Um, and uh, it, it was fascinating because Joe Kelly tends to write things that are 
hyper violent and i mean big one of the longest popular runs of deadpool um but he understood that concept of being able to like we need to like look at what makes a hero a hero and why that is valuable versus ah we need to just murder these people because it's going <laughs> to sell comics isn't there an animated film version of that there is and i remember it not working in the film probably not most of those yeah. dc animated things yeah. lose i remember the missing tone. the point yeah exactly yeah. yeah um they they adapt the the core concept, but they lose the tone from what I've the seen. Essence. The yeah. essence. Yeah. Well, yeah. all you got to do is take a sad, long, sad look at the um, Killing Joke animated yeah. adaptation <laughs> to, <laughs> you know. I haven't watched that. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah. all right. You'll be a better person. You'll be happier. Doing everything I can to be a better person. <laughs> there you go. Every day. You read all the good Superman comics. There you go. Yes. Do we make a difference between superheroes killing humans and superheroes killing aliens? Certain creators do, and I think they want people to overlook it. Because when New 52 launched, their New 52 Superman was decapitating parademons left and right. Mm. And to me, those guys are still sentient. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> we haven't established this was okay. Yeah. You know, it's like when, whenever, whenever there's a good story and they're like, wait, they're robots? Go crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. <laughs> but then when they start just kind of ripping the heads off of things, they're like, that, that had a pulse. Can we do a whole story where we talk about their sentience? If you if you prove to me that they didn't have uh, any kind of thinking structure going right. on, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so some books will try to get it by where they're like, ah, it's okay, it's aliens, who cares? Well, like you the know? army fodder of Thanos and Endgame. I mean, oh yeah, those aliens weren't living. <laughs> those that. flying turtles were not flying no mo. The movies, the, the Marvel know? movies, I generally consider um, everybody is kind of more of a soldier in general. Yeah. And because they're not full murder verse, they're but but they're generally like, hey, we got to this is war. We're killing these guys. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people complain about like the Avengers weren't able to protect that city. And it was like a huge I'm like, you know what? Captain America took couple hits there and saved a whole bunch of civilians he did more than superman yeah you know hmm. and, and then when there's uh, that level of a war invasion happening like yeah stuff's gonna get through yeah. but they still saved the city it's that collateral damage thing it's like if you didn't do the thing yeah. so many more people would have died but yeah. you did the best you could and you limited the amount that you possibly could manage it's, yeah. it's that thought experiment where you know you, there's a there's a train going down the tracks right and mm-hmm. there's a switch the train's full of 100 people <laughs> and there's one person tied to the tracks so do you let the train go and kill that one person and save the hundreds of people or do you move the switch where there's no bridge and the train's going to fall into a ravine and kill 100 people but save that one person yeah yeah, so, yeah. anyway Fascinating discussion, friends. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, superheroes. I'm wondering if there's ever going to be a time where where we go back. I think uh, I think it feels like we are on that train headed down the tracks, and and it's unstopping. And the our superheroes are just going to get more and more like vi- become more and more villainous. I think we just have room for everything now. Yeah, we That's do. That's what I feel. I generally feel though we are on a slightly better track mm-hmm. um, after Shazam. 
you know. Okay. Really? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there was there was death in Shazam, but it wasn't the kind of like collateral death. It was death that made sense in the scenes that it happened. Mm-hmm. And um, but there was there was genuine learning of what it meant to protect people and do something for the sake of doing it right and doing it, doing it good. Um, and, and serving your own needs as well. Exactly. There was something like the greater good kind of. Exactly. Yeah. So the DC movies, at least one of them, learned it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. And um, and Marvel, I th- I feel like it was never that much of a problem with Marvel. Yeah. Right. Know? Everything was well defined to me. But the start of this conversation comes out of Hawkeye. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's the thing. I especially in the Marvel movies, he's a secret super soldier. He's not a superhero. Yeah, I mean, right. The public doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Right. Um, and and that was a story about grief and suffering and agony and pain. Mm-hmm. That first quarter of the movie is is misery. The yeah. movie, you know. So <laughs> so you think his killing of the yakuza was justified? I feel like I've asked this before. Yeah, sure. you have. It's okay. <laughs> have I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. In the context of the story, I would say yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, um, I think there was a certain at a certain point you realize that there's. He will be redeemed because uh, I think everybody, most people going into Endgame knew that, uh, you know, most of the people we lost were going to be pulled back, that there was going to be some reversal because that's the way the story goes. Also, in superhero comics, nobody dies forever. Um, And and, but there was going to be some kind of redemption for um, for Hawkeye. Uh, and I think that was the whole point of making him be miserable and be Ronin. Also, yeah. Hawkeye's getting his own TV show right. on Disney Plus, and now he's going to have an interesting uh, tragedy in his past to deal with. Mm-hmm. All right, a whole bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to book report, everybody. Uh, Cole, what do you want to tell us about? Well, um, uh, as I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I'm coming out of the deep dive that I did in researching the next uh, episode of The Panel Jumper, which is uh, going to be about uh, black superheroes. And in so doing, I went back and revisited some superhero black superhero comics. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, the some superhero universes. And by the by, I'm co-writing this episode with my friend Andrew Lee Creech. And we've both been sort of playing off each other as far as research assignments and things like that and um one of the things i love about andrew and one of the reasons why i love working with him and that he is my friend is it when we were talking about comics and representation and comics that that that, uh, relate to uh, characters of color he will stop and go cole i challenge you to consider this you know, and as a privileged white male, I say, Andrew, I will accept that challenge. So one of the things that he cha- he put before me is like, because if you may recall, bless you if you haven't, but when I reviewed um, Black by um, Ozieffo and Smith three years ago, the, the initial Black uh, six-part miniseries, I was like, nice artwork, interesting story, been there, done that, there's nothing in it for me. And he was like, that's a cop-out, buddy, and I want you to go back and take a look, a closer look at some of this stuff, which I did for the episode, but also for um, the sake of my soul. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of mean that kind of seriously. So um, 
uh, because I'm looking at Milestone and I'm looking at Black and I'm looking at the Black universe that we now have through Black Mask. We've had the initial six-part uh, uh, series called Black and then Black rebranded re as Black AF with um, America's Sweetheart, the graphic novel, and then there was a um, uh, and then there was a uh, another miniseries called Black AF: Widows and Orphans. And currently, um, we are experiencing experiencing Black AF: Devils Die, which is I think another four-part miniseries written by um, um, uh, Kwanzaa Ojefo. I don't, I'm sorry, sir. I'm going to be butchering your name through all of this, so please forgive me. Um, and and this is a real tough universe to visit because it's really hard to know how you're supposed to read these comics. Um, uh, I found a quote by uh, the late Dwayne McDuffie uh, regarding the Milestone imprint from the 90s where he said, my problem, and I'll speak as a writer now, with writing black characters in either the Marvel or DC universe um, is that he is not a man, he is a symbol. And Andrew and I have been talking a lot about, you know, the contemporary, uh, uh, the, the current way storytellers are told, excuse me, the way people of color are telling stories about people of color are, how are they dealing with the symbol, the symbolic nature of the stories that they're trying to tell? And one of the things that I'm really enjoying about Black AF is that, um, I feel like there's a conscious effort to not bring us characters that are symbols. But Andrew pointed out that, Cole, that's always going to happen when you have people of color in your comics. We can't get away from it. So I'm looking at, the, I'm looking at uh, uh, Devil's Die, and I'm looking at Widows and Orphans. I'm asking, how do I read this? Do, do I think about that there are people of color? Do I think about this person's uh, the, the, the color experience in these stories, or am I just reading comics? And... Right now, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying what is offered by these books, but uh, um, and I'm and I'm not and I'm reading them as as superheroes, but I'm also bearing in mind that I blew them off before and said it doesn't have anything to offer me. Nice stories, yada yada yada. So uh, here's my problem right now. I don't think that the artwork in these books is as strong as the stories they're trying to tell. And it's really, really frustrating me. So Widows and Orphans, I was, didn't really want to talk about it, um, but at least Widows and Orphans came back to our core group of the Black Empowered that we met in the first series, and Devil's Die does as well. And so Devil's Die is uh, the story of... Um, let me quick look at my notes. I'm sorry, I'm taking up a long time here. Um, is about uh, uh, this character um, named... Uh, Indigo and Indigo and her uh, has been sent by her faction of the Black Empowered to take a look at this new designer drug that's on the streets that have, apparently has all of the the wonderful effects of ecstasy and whatnot um, with none of the lows unless you are a Black Empowered. And by the by, in the Black universe, only Black people have superpowers. Mm -hmm. Sorry, forgot to qualify that. That makes all the difference in the world when now you're looking at these stories. So yeah, the covers are beautiful. the The storyline is challenging and interesting. I think there's some good character development happening i'm sorry the artwork is really really under par and this is drawn by um someone who's been uh, vita ayala who's done the wilds marvel knights and livewire so she's had some experience in illustrating i just i'm really sad because it looks so rushed and the paper quality is great and the colors are great and i want to support this universe i want encouragement and it's a and it's in its expansion but man it's not a single background 
No. Um, those four pages I just saw. Yeah, it's um, and the same with um, with mm. Widows and Orphans. The artwork mm. is just not very strong, and um, it's if I wasn't exploring it because I gave it to myself as an assignment, I would have to give up on it again just because of this. And I know that's not fair, but um, I want more out of what's happening um, in in the uh, in the black universe. Uh, but I think I'm going to keep with it just because at this point at and in, in uh, working on the panel jumper ep- panel jumper episode, I I want to see I want to try and keep my my fingers on the pulse of what's happening right now in in in, in independent comic books that are um, uh, creating a space for black creativity and black identity. Um, I had another fine point I was going to make, and now I can't remember. Mm-hmm. All I right. feel like so. similar, like when we were talking about women in comics and mm-hmm. how there was a smaller minority of them, and a lot of people feel like they need to support women in comics so that they can have more widespread yes. amount in there. But that also means that you may be supporting things that aren't really hitting for you. Right. Um, just because you want to see more of it or you want to support the idea of it. And I don't know if this falls into that bracket of I do really want to support it because I like the incentive behind it and, and the inspiration maybe, but Precisely. the execution is not quite there for me. But it's, it has been before. Because I think the artwork, I think, um, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember the name of the artist who drew the original arc. Um, oh, Jamal, Jamal Eigel. Uh, his artwork is actually really strong looking mm-hmm. back. And I did so, like Jamal's art, yeah. yeah He's a and, vet. Mm-hmm. He's been yeah. around forever. Yeah. Um, but the other thing to bear in mind is that where the black universe, the black AF universe is concerned, they are getting all their financing from Kickstarters. And with the first black, and I didn't realize that with the first black miniseries, that was kickstarted, it was crowdfunded, and it exceeded its crowdfunding goal three times over. And um, so these comics are going to continue to happen through this unique way of financing how they happen. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty darn cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to look to publishers to support them. They're looking to their readership to support them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I do want to pay attention to it. I want to support it. Um, I just wish the artwork was stronger. Cool. All right. Thank you, Cole. Uh, Chris Cassell, what do you got for us? Um, so I already did the review for the previous volume of the Ogre Gods called Petit, and I absolutely loved it. It's one of my favorite things to come out in the past couple years. Um, so uh, the thing is, by the time I got to like the end of that book, I think I think there was a note saying like volume two coming out. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. Because um, it felt like it was kind of an end of a story. And so it's a series and I don't know how long it's going, but I will cherish every volume. Yes. Um, so for those that might not remember or whatever, um, it's an it's a medieval kind of world where a lineage of o- ogres control the land. And if you are a human, you are either a slave or you're food. And... Um, the uh, the original story started with uh, the birth of Petit, who is a human-sized ogre, and so most of his family wants to kill and eat him, and he's being hidden away by his mother, and like the servants take care of him. Um, so that's like the, the the story of Petit is all in the first volume. This new volume is called Half Blood, and it's dealing with the. Um, the stewards of the ogre family. And so there's a whole separate series of bloodlines having to do with the people that took the orders of the ogres. And that includes like find the more humans to eat and stuff like that. And the aristocracy that has uh, arisen around these God creatures, 
they they really love incompetent people, so they always try to make sure there's somebody real stupid in charge that that the ogres will you know just kind of tell their orders to, and then the aristocracy will kind of figure it out after that. Um, and so this is this is dealing with a specific character who is growing up in that world and is part of that system and is trying to manipulate that system. And I'm trying to be vague because Nicole has not read it yet, so <laughs> no, I will not take no. away from her joy. But uh, it's by the same creative team, which is... Uh, Hubert. Hubert is the writer, and design and artwork is Bertrand Gat- Gattignol. Gattignol. And... Um, it's beautiful. I love the layouts. I love the line work. Um, I love the decorative aspects. Mm-hmm. Between each chapter, there is a uh, prose sequence that's only like two pages long that deals with a previous, in the first book, a previous member of the family of ogres. In this book, a previous steward. And so you, uh, they, they'll make mentions of people right at the end of a chapter, and they'll be like, oh, at least it isn't like Bertrand to blur, blur, blur. And then you turn the page, and you're like, oh, Bertrand to Bertrand. Bert. <laughs> and you're like, I never thought about that. And you're like, oh, cool. Um, some, some of it's a little shoehorned in how they do that, but I still like, oh, I like it. I like the world building. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're very interesting characters, and everybody is morally messed up terribly in this world and so it's an engaging read so i highly recommend them there's 25 dollars hardcovers they're beautifully put together and they're just some of the best like gothic fantasy horror fiction i've read in a long time so yes are you smelling that right. or reading it <laughs> so we often have this discussion about digital versus print and i just want to say that when you were leafing through this, I got a whiff of the book. The books, this has nothing to do with the comic. The book smells fantastic. Yes. What does it smell like? It's a good smelling book. Give it, just smell the inside cover there. While you're Give doing that, let's move on. Snifter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yes. And finally, Nicole. I don't know what you're smelling. What do you got for know. us? I get, I'm getting nothing. I'm getting a hint of nothing. <laughs> This smells like young adult literature. Uh, it's Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me by uh, Mariko Tamaki. And um, side note, there's a couple Tamakis. Are they sisters? I don't know. Yeah. Research must be done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Co-creator Jillian Tamaki. I think so. Anyway, anyway. on to the book. This book is uh, published by First Second, and it's all um, uh, Mariko Tamaki is the writer. And uh, she did this one summer? Yes. Yes. There's a lot of Tamakis. No. No? She did. Anyway. uh, She did that Supergirl run. Yes. Being super. Being super. And other things. And lots of things. Like, you know, people people like her. New York Times is like, she's rad. Um, And then the art is by Rosemary Vallejo, Valero O'Connell. Super Mutant Academy. Super Mutant Academy, yeah. yeah. Um, and Rosemary, where I've seen her before, she did some Lumberjanes. She did a Lumberjanes one-shot or graphic novel or something like that. So she's done some young adult material. The actual story <laughs> is that it's focusing on this girl named Freddie Riley, and she's dating a popular girl at school, Laura Dean. And Laura Dean is kind of your typical popular person that somebody like oh you're so attractive I want to be with you but you're emotionally unavailable and you just you know you run around and you're never really there and you're you know it's that like 
it's like the my so-called life kind of scenario of like the cute person who's always kind of unattainable. And Freddie's been dating Laura, I think, for like a year um, and just can't seem to stop dating her like they like Laura Dean actually does keep breaking up with her it's like a text or something like whoops whatever I guess we're not together and I'm gonna go make out with some girls you know like at a prom or something like that Laura Dean's just a terrible person pretty much and really what the point of this story is besides just being a story that happens to have two gay characters in it and it's not a coming out story and it's not an overcoming being gay story it's about overcoming toxic relationships and finding a good healthy balance because the problem with Freddie is that she's because she's chasing after Laura Dean all the time she's not really there for her friends and there's things happening with her friends that uh, you know, come to a head at a certain point in the graphic novel um, and I think it's I think it's a really good young adult thing I think it's something good to have to to read to to learn about um, you know, that those relationships are not something that you should be looking after. I kind of think of like the romanticizing of the Harley Quinn and Joker that a lot of like teen girls like to do. It's like, no, read this book and stub it and put the shirt on or something and not wear your just your bra. It's tasteless. Anyway, um, it also has this narrative in there of talking to like an advice column and there's a little point at the end where the advice column like writes back to her and stuff like mm. that. It's a nice little wrap up of the narrative and I think it's really, really well done. I super love this book. I read it like in one sitting. I was like, oh, I'll just read some and then I'll read a little. No, I read the whole entire thing in one sitting. It was really, really good. I love Rosemary's art. She does this tonal thing where she does black and white with a little bit of pink um, coloring to highlight different things and I always like when they do that in uh, in comic books. I think it, it just adds something really tonally to the narrative. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly recommend this. It is $25 for the hardcover. It's probably at least $5 less or more yeah. for the soft cover. I should have grabbed the soft cover. Anyway, um, highly, highly, highly recommend. Very, very good. Probably high school, but, you know, if you're younger than high school, maybe middle school, you could get away with reading it. Um, but, um, I, yeah. There's, I guess, some sexual themes in there, but nothing explicit. So um, definitely would recommend Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Cool. Yeah. And uh, Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki are cousins. Oh, cousins! Thank you, Internet! And they are Canadian. Yes, they are. It does say that they are Canadian somewhere on here. And they both did work on this one summer. Oh, they both did. I thought that was Tilly Walden. Mariko wrote it and Jillian uh, drew it. There's, There's this thing happening right now where there's all these great... Uh, creators who are doing kind of similar things in the queer young adult genre. Yeah, a lot of and young they adult look books. Similar-ish. And yeah. Yeah. The styles. And they're are. all good. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Nicole. That is Book Report. And that is our show. Coming up is quiz time. But before we go, I want to tell you that the Perfect Bound podcast is brought to you by the Panel Jumper. See everything Cole Hornaday and I do at thepaneljumper.com, as well as Comics Dungeon here at 319 Northeast 45th Street in beautiful downtown Wallingford, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at comicsdungeon.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or however you get your podcasts at perfectboundpodcast.com. Send us an email, perfectboundpodcast at 
gmail.com and our friends get your quiz hats on it's quiz time this week the questions come to us from me riddle me this batman here are five classic riddles from the 1966 tv show all expertly oh. delivered by frank gorshin or perhaps they were read by batman on a wall or something i didn't bother to check <laughs> also i tried to pick the most logical ones some of the riddles are quite obtuse oh. all right number one is that a clue no oh. Some of them are really weird. There's like a website that had like all of them, and I'm like, who the? This may may have had context in the show. Whatever. You have to be Batman to solve it. Exactly. Number one. Detective. What goes up white but comes down yellow and white? An what? egg. An egg. Thank you. <laughs> all right. How do you divide 70... Riddle me this, Batman. How do you divide 17 apples amongst 16 people? How you do you divide... Take one for yourself, and then you give it to the 16. Nope. <laughs> all the apples if, have to go to all If you were a sphinx, people. I'd be dead already. <laughs> okay. I'll give you this one. It's make applesauce. Uh. All right. That was one of the easier ones. Yeah. All right. Number three. <laughs> what room, what room can, really be this, Batman. There you go. What room can no one enter? A mushroom. A mushroom is correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've heard this one before. Yeah. I'm hoping the there's, problem there's one Gorshin one I know for sure. It's burned in here, and I hope you get to it. All right. Maybe not, but uh, let me know what it is later on. I'll let you know if I've, uh, if I've seen it. All right. Number four. Why does a cowboy wear a tight belt? Riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> Why does a cowboy wear a tight belt? To keep his pants up. To keep up his pants is correct. <laughs> and finally, number five. It's not a riddle. <laughs> what? I grew up with the show, so. <laughs> what do you throw away that keeps returning? Riddle me this, Batman. What do you throw away that keeps returning? A boomerang. A boomerang is correct. Oh, yeah. All right, what was the one that you uh, had? What's always coming but never arrives. What's always coming but never arrives. Tomorrow. Yes, because when it <laughs> tomorrow arrives, it we, becomes. Yep, yep, we know. <laughs> Okay. Let him have his moment. Oh, I can't remember the rest of it. So. There were there were some other ones. One was a classic like Sphinx riddle, whereas what walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three oh, legs at twilight? Person. A, yes, a person. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other one that I had was uh, what is black and white and red all over? A newspaper. Close enough. A book. All right. Well, that is. That's uh, <laughs> not how it goes. <laughs> that was the answer that the Riddler gave Batman. What do you want from me? Stupid. All right. Well, tune in. Same bat time. Same bat channel. We thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Woohoo!